So you might have noticed the long gap since our last episode. This summer has been an incredibly busy and productive one for us at Open Your Hymnal. That's right. You probably remember us talking about the start of the One Call Institute. We are happy to report that our inaugural year was a stunning success, and we are looking forward to growing this important program for youth and their adult advocates. We can't thank you enough for the support and prayers of our listeners. Yeah, and shortly after that, we headed off to Baltimore for the 2018 NPM National Convention. We were thrilled to meet many of our listeners and to capture a new round of interviews for our upcoming season. Which leads us to our next bit of news. Those of you who follow us on Facebook know we've been teasing a special announcement. We are proud and excited to announce that starting Saturday, September 1st at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Open Your Hymnal will be broadcast by the Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio. You will still be able to access all of our episodes on our website and through your podcast subscription. This new collaboration with the Living Bread Radio Network provides us an opportunity to expand our format, giving us the ability to showcase more music, newer compositions, and a greater variety of liturgical music voices and perspectives. If you would like to find out how you can bring Open Your Hymnal to your local Catholic radio station, contact us through our website, openyourhymnal.com. We are incredibly thankful to NPM, GIA, OCP, and WLP for their support of this podcast. And most of all, we're thankful to you, our listeners, for opening your hymnals and supporting this podcast with your singing and prayer. As some of our listeners are probably aware, at the 2018 NPM convention, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, uh, our guest today, Father Ricky Manalo, received the Pastoral Musician of the Year Award, and a well-deserved honor, certainly. Uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about the experience of being at that convention was hearing a concert that Ricky gave, which highlighted a lot of his compositions over the decades that he's been writing music. And what struck me was the number of different styles and different cultural idioms that Ricky was able to use in a lot of his compositions. Yeah, and it was a really special honor for me to have actually played in this concert. I was asked to play violin. And I think you're absolutely right, Matt. The The variety of styles was a really fun challenge for the musicians. I think in the span of a couple of songs at one point, we went from gospel to klezmer to uh, the, the kind of Asian style that um, you'll see in Many and Great. Well, and, and beyond just the, the technical performance aspect as a musician trying to play in all these different styles, it's, it's amazing to me as someone who's not a composer that Ricky seems to be so conversant and so, um, I guess, fluent in all of these different styles. That seems to be something that's unique to him. I, I don't know of many other composers that can necessarily do that. I know. He kind of moves in and out of, of different styles. It was funny. I'm going to name drop a little bit, but sitting next to me for this concert was Tom Booth. And um, the way that he was having to change also the way that he plays guitar for the different songs. I mean, he like ev everything was so idiomatic of every style that Ricky was writing in. Um, it was it was really it was really fun to see um, all the diversity in his in his composition. 
Right. Well, and 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 authentic diversity. I I never got the sense as I was singing and praying with these songs that this was something that Ricky approached just to say, I really like the way this type of song sounds or wouldn't it be neat if I had a piece. You know, it wasn't musical theater. It was something that really was an authentic honoring of that type of that type of culture, that type of style and that type of idiom. And again, you know, other than maybe, you know, somebody like Marty Haugen comes to mind who's written in a variety of idioms and styles, but there there really aren't a lot of composers today who are necessarily doing that. And of course, you can do these songs simply, which I think is part of their beauty, but also Ricky is is somewhat of an ambitious composer. The arrangements are big a lot of the time. In a lot of the works, there's a lot of orchestration to them, and it was really nice to be able to do the songs um, in in the in the larger way that he conceived of them. Yeah, and and I think for this reason, Ricky is one of my favorite liturgical music composers. I'm always interested to see what he's going to come up with next. I'm always interested in his new music. I love singing the music that's been around for a while, and I'm really excited that he's going to be our guest today. So please open your hymnal to Many and Great. Hello, I'm Father Ricky Minello. I'm a Paulist priest living in Old St. Mary's Cathedral in San Francisco, teaching part-time in Santa Clara University, and traveling all over the place, <laughs> giving talks, workshops, and, and lectures. There were different different starting points for that song. The first uh, was this genuine pastoral need that I recognized for the Catholic Church that in the United States that somehow there were songs missing in the mainstream repertoire that had an intentional focus or you know or themes or melodies that came from Asian traditions. And so I think in the early 90s I was always impressed with um, some of the things that. Um, like what Bob Hurd was doing at Pondi Vida, or you know, all these other different traditions that I said, hey, why isn't there any uh, sort of like a, an Asian Pondi Vida? Is <laughs> that what we call it? So, so that was the first initial thought. The problem was with that, you know, I, I quickly learned, as I've always known, that the, that the term Asian is very fluid. And you know how do you define Asian? Because that's really coming from a from a mainstream um, Euro European American cultural framework. Um, and so, after recognizing that, I, I found that the pentatonic scale, which is not exclusive to Asian cultures, but um, but that might be one way to uh, to enter into this you know conversation. Um, the pentatonic scale is found in all over the world. <laughs> I mean, German folk songs, um, Hungarian folk songs, English folk songs, and then, of course, uh, 
Vietnamese, Southeast Asian, Laos, Jap Japan, all over the world. But there were, might there be something particular based on my own cultural upbringing? And so I explored all this. And there were two um, areas that were influenced me at the time. The first was I was heavily getting into Akira Kurosawa, <laughs> the great Japanese director at the time. And I was, I was going through this, um, what, I, what sociologists call uh, delayed cultural identity, where having been brought up in the United States, I was born in Brooklyn, raised in New Jersey, having had, uh, being raised up in a domestic, you know, Asian setting where my parents were Filipino, and my grandfather was Chinese, uh, I was introduced mainly through the Chinese heritage of, um, you know, this Asian pentatonic scale. And, and there was this need for me to, um, you know, to begin to uh, sort of retrieve that identity that I kind of put aside because growing up in a, in a more Euro-American context in New Jersey, I, um, I wanted to blend in and acculturate or enculturate into that culture per se. Finally, this, this last thread is that I'm a, I'm a passionate um, enthusiast over the music of Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> so I took a, I, I went to a workshop of his while I was studying in New York, and I asked him um, what were, uh, what was his famous, uh, his, his most favorite song that he had ever written. Now this is around 19, I think um, 1985, 1985, 86. So at the time, uh, he said, he, he mentioned two songs, um, Opening Doors from uh, Merrily We Roll Along, and he said Someone in a Tree, which is from the musical Pacific Overtures. I wasn't familiar with Someone in the Tree, so I, I, I went back, I went to the Manhattan School of Music Library where I was studying, and I, I looked at that score, and there's a song there which haunted me for so many reasons, you know, different reasons. It was pentatonic, um, all these various reasons that I think that uh, that musical influenced this particular song, Many and Great. I was younger then, I saw everything, where they came and where they went, I was part of the event. So all of these elements converged into the creation of this song. And, uh, and in a sense, it was my goal just to introduce uh, something that might be particularly Asian um, into mainstream Catholic repertoire. As Father Ricky shared with us, there are a lot of complex moving parts here when it comes to the development of the song Many and Great. And I think maybe a helpful place for us to continue this conversation is with the text itself, because I think it gives a good insight into some of the complicated considerations that go into considering both Eastern and Western cultures and how to bridge the uniquenesses of both. Again, I, I was um, two things come to mind. I have images here from from Western culture, wheat, for example, <laughs> which really doesn't grow, let's say, in Japan or China. I mean, it might in other parts of Asia, but but it's not really known to be a um, uh, an Asian, uh, you know, agriculture. But I like I like that that imagery. You know, you know, the wheat grows from springtime to fall. You know, even even then, when I say springtime to fall, I'm thinking of my New York, New Jersey upbringing of four distinct seasons. 
So, so that's going on in different areas. And the other area is that uh, it comes back to my influence of uh, Kurosawa, the Japanese director. When I was exploring, you know, uh, Japanese cinema, Kurosawa might begin like the opening of Seven Samurai with just the camera sitting still, looking, uh, looking on a vast, from the top of a mountain, looking at a field with nothing happening. It's just about being aware. And then all of a sudden you might see someone walking after like 45 seconds, you know, it was just about being aware. Now, this wouldn't happen at least, uh, at least before in mainstream Western film in which we always want action or some kind of plot or some kind of explanation, <laughs> you know. So the idea of being aware and moments to take pause actually was brought into the, the, uh, the verses. If you look at uh, the melody, many, I don't know if I'm in the right key. Many and great are bearers of the word. This part. The cry speaks, the heart seeks. That's actually giving these musical pauses. I could have gone, oh, but it's not the word. I could have just gone on. But I, I intentionally gave these um, two, two measure pauses. And I repeated them. I repeated them. In my own um, Western training, there was always a tendency to just rush, <laughs> go on to the next, go on to the idea, go to the peak, per se. You know, go. So, but so, so that, that, and I think that was influenced actually by Sondheim uh, in, in, in the Pacific Overture. Uh, score he does it himself so those are uh, the other thing is um i remember this one uh this one word one phrase i came with what is it that the uh the hand sows the seed grow in the second verse and i think i wrote the i think i originally wrote the plow sows the seeds grow and um when i was kind of a when i was just getting started with ocp I was in Columbus, Ohio at a Newman Center, and this composer named Christopher Walker was giving a talk there. I'd never met him. And, uh, and we had a conversation. We, we had a wonderful conversation. And Christopher Walker, of all people, suggested, <laughs> rather than the, I think rather than the plow sows, how about the hand sows? I mean, you know, so this is a wonderful example of how, you know, we can't really label anyone or any, we can't really essentialize anyone to one particular culture or identity. We're really a hybrid, and we can borrow from so many things. So I actually brought Chris, Chris's idea, and, I, and they changed that. But isn't that a beautiful image? I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's a very Asian imagery, but that's from my own worldview and my own location of how I interpret Chris's suggestion. And I think it works. The hand sews. It's a beautiful imagery. So that's where the intercultural dialogue happens, and that's where we begin to learn and recognize that really at one level, We've, at one level, I want to believe we've all been influenced by so many cultures, and uh, and we really are a hybrid um, collectivity, and that influences our music and our text. Okay, so we've seen some of the uniquenesses when it comes to language considerations as we're talking about culture, you know, the divide between East and West. Now let's go back to something that Father Ricky mentioned at the beginning, this whole issue of the pentatonic scale. So for our listeners who are not well-versed with music theory, Zach, 
Give us a rundown. What do we need to know about the pentatonic scale so that this makes sense? So our typical major scale is comprised of seven notes, and you know it ends with the eighth note, which is just a repeat of the of the first note. But um, a pentatonic scale, as the name would suggest, is a scale built with five notes. Uh, probably the easiest way to get a sense of what that scale sounds like is you could just play the the any grouping of five black keys on uh, the piano. That would give you the sound of the most typical pentatonic scale and um, the same one that Father Ricky uses in this song. Pentatonic scales, as he talks about, is used in all different kinds of music, uh, not just Asian music. You'll experience it in some of our most beloved hymns. Amazing Grace is an example of a pentatonic scale. The hymn tune Land of Rest is a pentatonic scale. Uh, the blues scale is based on a pentatonic scale. So it's it's all over the place. You know what's interesting? When I, when I first presented a set of songs to OCP, Around you, uh, the, the first song you presented to them was not Many and Great. Although Many and Great was the very first song they accepted, it's not what I presented in person. I presented a song um, by the waking of our hearts. By the waking of our hearts, by the stirring of our souls, may the Spirit of God And after singing it through one time, Randy DeBryan said, wow, it's a it's an octave and a half, and it, it was so simple to sing. Because usually if you sing um, uh, with more notes there, you know, if any editor would see all of these notes, it actually becomes more difficult to, to look at this broad range. But somehow, with only five notes, uh, there were fewer notes. So by the time you get to this E-flat, and, and we had a wonderful discussion of how simpler it is from a range you know, perspective. And I really, really enjoy that. Uh, a pentatonic scale in general is a five-note scale. Like I said before, it's it's found in so many different cultures throughout the world. But in a lot of indigenous cultures, where uh, it might be uh, more common to sing a cappella without the need of instruments, there was always this, uh, there was always this tradition that these f- five notes would come more naturally. The difficult, there's been some qualifications of this, of course, because later on you, you don't want to say it's a universal. That's very culturally interpretive. <laughs> what, what is a universal per se? But there is something there. You know, you, you, you look at, um, you look at uh, African-American spirituals to blues. It's all pentatonic. You know, you look at the folk songs of so many European traditions. It's all pentatonic. So there's something there um, that lends itself to uh, being easier uh, singability. So it occurs to me that because we are a podcast and a radio show that, um, you know, not many people know what Matt and I look like. Uh, And if you are judging just by my name, um, Zach Stahowski, you might uh, be picturing uh, your typical Polish guy when in fact... 
I am actually very much uh, Korean. I was adopted. And so it's it, it's always funny at conventions and things when people meet me for the first time or when they meet us both and they're trying to figure out uh, who's who uh, between the two of us. So it was really interesting to me to hear Father Ricky also talk about, um, you know, his experience with uh, trying to um, understand his Asian identity. Of course, I, I grew up in Michigan all of my life uh, to a wonderful Polish-American family. Um, and, you know, trying to also just navigate this certain part of me um, has always been, uh, you know, something in the back of my mind, not something that, you know, I've really, like you know, pursued. Uh, but uh, to talk with Father Ricky um, about his experience, too, was was, was really enlightening and, and kind of exciting for me. Well, for me, it was all, you know, it was all Western music, you know, since I was young. And uh, now, now, domestically, you know, I, 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 we sang and I heard Filipino music, not necessarily Filipino liturgical music, it's Filipino music. And there's a whole tradition there, um, you know, that I was exposed to per se. But as far as like training, it was all, you know, Western music conservatory trained. <laughs> so so it, it wasn't really until Mini and Great that I began to explore. So we're talking, so that, that, that was a major delay. Now that, that, that's paralleling my own cultural identity and, uh, and choice to, to, uh, to a culturator to integrate into mainstream culture because that's that's the culture you know within which I was brought up. In fact, it's kind of funny for, for me. I didn't domestically I knew I was Filipino slash a little Chinese, but um, but socially I didn't think I was Asian until I began to, in hindsight, see some racism in high school. You know, I go, hey, but I'm white. Now I knew I would. I didn't look white, but but that's the culture that uh, to which I subscribed from, you know, from movies, rock and roll, all of these things. So by delayed identity, uh, usually it gets sparked by, you know, the need to retrieve something that, that the present culture or cultures within which you find yourself may not answer. For me, as I told you before, it was a spiritual, there were spiritual reasons, and there was a pastoral reason why I wanted to explore that. Then I began to say, oh, I have this rich tradition here that I guess been putting, not putting aside, domestically I said it was always there, but socially or even ministerial perspective, I, I was, I'm mainstream culture. You know, that's what, and but when I mean, when I say mainstream culture, I'm not just saying like European American white culture, because to some extent I contribute to mainstream culture, even though I'm not European American. So mainstream culture is more of the dominant culture than any um, territory or property kind of, you know, promotes from uh, economics to pop culture, <laughs> all of that per se. Well, I, I am mainstream culture. That's one of it. So, so we all we explore different cultures. Some people look into their own culture heritage. Other people look elsewhere. You know, this happened in the 60s when so many Americans looked to the East, you know, during the 1960s and the hippie days for answers from, from Taoism and, you know, and began to look at those areas. So we're always looking. Uh, for those for those different influences that might be able to you know that might be able to give us resources to answer particular needs mm -hmm.
Okay, we've covered the cultural considerations that come with this text. We've talked about the pentatonic scale and its distinctive use here. Now let's talk a little bit about musical style. I think musical style can be a great tool in helping to represent uh, the gathered assembly. Um, in in other episodes, we've talked about the use of other languages. Um but in addition to language, musical style, the idioms, the instrumentation, um, all that come with it is something that can help um, make people feel welcome or at least provide something that's familiar to people. Now, of course, you know, we don't want to get into the trap of being tokenistic in, in the way that we, we approach these things. But I think um, especially the way that Father Ricky writes, writes this music it provides us an authentic tool uh, for us to start incorporating some of these different styles into our music. Yeah, I think I think that point is well made. I, I do find it interesting that a lot of times when we talk about multicultural music, again, our first natural inclination is to talk about language. I mean, even the the terminology we use in talking about these issues, we talk about bilingual or multilingual music. We don't often talk about bicultural or multicultural music. And it's interesting, you know, the comparisons that Father Ricky has made with Pandavida, that in that song, Bob Hurd uses uh, the Spanish language, but not necessarily the musical idioms that go along with the culture. And here in this piece, Father Ricky is using the musical idioms and not necessarily the language that goes with that culture. And I think that's an interesting distinction. When I was exploring this que- uh, this question of how to introduce more, quote, Asian, end quote, liturgical music into main- U.S. mainstream Catholic culture, uh, you quickly realize that there are there, there are there are as many languages <laughs> in the various Asian cultures, you know, then you might find um, in Latin America. Of course, this is not to say that there are differences between Spanish languages and Latin. There are many nuances there. But they could have still hold on to something more than, let's say, Korean and Tagalog, you know, or Vietnamese. This gets much more diversity there. That's the reason I went into... Um, that's what the reason I went into uh, looking at the musical aspect. Is there something that some of these Asian cultures might might have in common? And what I uh, what I explored was, um, uh, I guess I would call it some kind of musical hybridity. Anything we write, I believe, is a mix, is a hybrid of many different musical influences in the composer's life. It's not just one. Definitely Stephen Sondheim and um, Charles Strauss, with whom I also studied Broadway music, influenced me. But then also film scores, rock and roll music. <laughs> I look at the music of Jim Chaponis, David Haas, Marty Hagen, you know, all of these people. They also influenced my music as well. Um, I'm wondering uh, whether we have, usually we when we look at diversity, we have a tendency to right away look at text and language first. And that might be um, the most practical uh, starting point. But, uh, but, what, but what I think uh, has always been going on, but maybe it's an area we need to more intentionally focus on is, is the hybridity of musical styles, for example. You know, it's easy to categorize, and I've done it myself, categorize composers 
based on musical styles. I remember at a uh, NPM keynote address I gave in DC, I kind of had to give 50 years of liturgical music and culture, and I kind of categorized all composers from different, you know, from different categories of styles, let's say cultural sensibilities of all. Now, if you were to ask each one of those composers that, you know, this person is writing from a um, uh, popular music culture or another from a Christian rock or whatever it may be, that might be the starting point. But you, you know, you scratch the surface and you realize there are probably three to five different styles that has influenced each of those, you know, compositions and their, and their own lifestyle. So there's, there's a fluidity there. Something that we might want to explore. We have, we have a tendency in U.S. liturgical publishing to categorize because that's how publishers, that's what they need to do in their marketing. You know, also with the plethora and sea of so many composers, uh, this, is, this is why we have cultural studies, there's a tendency to categorize people and essentialize various components, right? That's, that's very fair because that's, you know, how am I going to stick um, myself beyond other composers? And even from a publishing strategy perspective, um, I needed, to, when I was coming into the liturgical scene, I began to wonder, well, how am I going to make my own voice? You know, when you have, you know, during the 80s, uh, 90s, when I was, well, 90s, when I was beginning all of this, I, uh, I would look at all of these composers who influenced me, from Dan Schutte to David Haas and Marty Hogg, and I would go, well, they already wrote everything. Well, what can I do? <laughs> of course, one of my professors told me, there'll always be a different cultural need, you know, and you'll just have to explore it. And, uh, and of course, I wasn't looking into my own, into the mirror and realized, oh, this whole Filipino-Chinese hybridity identity that I have is something that I might be able to contribute. So... As is the case when we discuss bilingual music or, you know, music from a different culture, you know, I, I would imagine many of our listeners are thinking, uh, but we don't have an, uh, an Asian community in our parish. Is there really a reason to sing this music? Or we don't have any Spanish speakers in our assembly. Is there any reason to sing any music in Spanish. And um, lucky for us, uh, Father Ricky is in demand all over the world, speaking on, um, you know, just a pastoral approach, an ecclesial approach uh, to incorporating all of these different dynamics when it comes to interculturalism. I, I think that's a, uh, the way I label, or the, the, I guess the lens through which I want to respond to that would be an ecclesial understanding. What I mean by ecclesial, how do we see each other as a church? And when we celebrate the liturgy, what is our image of, quote, the church during the celebration of liturgy? There's the immediate context of seeing the, uh, the immediate members of the body of Christ before and around you. So usually that's a starting point, that we might sing bilingual or trilingual or intercultural music, because that's the context around you. Um, but then there are, when we celebrate the Mass, or any liturgy, it goes beyond just the immediate members' physical presence of the body of Christ around us. 
we also celebrate <clears throat> the larger global Catholicity. We also celebrate. Um, we also celebrate those who have gone before us, <laughs> those who will come after us. We pray for those who are, pray for those who are not here. This, so there's a larger ecclesial reality, and and so my my approach to this is that we might begin as a starting point to look at the immediate pastoral needs of the people who are there, but then there are times throughout the year when we might want to bring in this larger ecclesial worldview. It might be if you if you have a really good you know, uh, relationship with the pastor and your dialogue with him about what the homily might be or the particular readings or, you know, there might be a, it might be a Sunday around Christian Unity Week where all of a sudden now we're getting into a global perspective of Christianity. Even though you might be mostly um, uh, European-American or an, or an all-African-American or all Viet, mostly Vietnamese, whatever it may be, might this be a time to introduce an accessible bilingual, even a trilingual song, or a short acclamation, or ostinato, you know, uh, that might expand the other the people in the pews to realize, oh, when we celebrate Mass, it's more than just us. It's everyone. So those are the times. And if, you know, then you can get into questions about what kind of song forms might be easier <laughs> to do, whatever. But, but I, I was encouraging, challenging, albeit in a very pastoral way, challenging the ecclesial uh, worldview of the parishioners and the worshipers. And now, here is a recording of Many and Great in its entirety.
We will be continuing our program shortly with a new segment called the Open Your Hymnal Playlist. But first, we wanted to share a little bit about the Living Bread Radio Network. The Living Bread Radio Network is the largest Catholic radio network in Ohio. With coverage throughout most of Northeast Ohio, they are dedicated to bringing the best in Catholic radio programming. A variety of programs address a wide range of Catholic topics and issues. For our Northeast Ohio listeners, you can tune in at AM 1060 and 94.5 FM. Listeners in the Youngstown area can tune in to 89.5 FM. And for everyone else not in Ohio, you can stream the network live at livingbreadradio.com. And now it's time for the Open Your Hymnal playlist, the part of our show where we get to share with you some additional songs that you might want to listen to, drawn from the conversation that we had in today's episode. So, Zach, why don't you kick us off here with your first pick? As noted in our conversation, many and great while making use of Asian musical idioms, does not make use of the language. So I wanted to find a song that made use of both the idiom and the language. So I found uh, this arrangement of a Japanese blessing, Kirisu Tono, uh, by the composer Izumi Shiota, that Lori True arranged and set some English words to. So we get a blending of East and West. So this is Kirisu Tono. Kirisu
Now, before we move on to my first pick, I would be remiss if I did not pause to comment on the male soloist in that recording. You jerk. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was the, that was the first time I had ever sung on an album for GIA. So thank you, Matt, for pointing that out. I would also like to point out that apparently the criterion for picks during this segment are not only songs we think fit, but also songs upon which we have sung. That's true. So So I have a couple that I know Matt Reichert has sung on, so we'll have (laughs) to make make sure that you stay tuned for those. (laughs) All right, so my first pick for today is actually a new arrangement of a well-known classic song. So I've picked They'll Know We Are Christians, which I think most of our listeners will know. This recording is an arrangement by the composer Paul Tate. And the reason I chose this piece, other than the fact that it's something, you know, again, a lot of us are familiar with, um, it's because this piece actually is also written in a pentatonic scale, just like Ricky was talking about in today's episode. So give this recording a listen.
All right, Zach, are you ready for your second pick or would you like me to go first? You know, I have a really big one. So why don't you go next and then we'll end with a bang. All right, great. Um, so so this next this next piece, my second pick, um, is a piece by the composer Chris Da Silva. Um, and I, I chose this for two reasons. First, to feature another Asian American composer. And second, this is a similar text to the text we just heard in They'll Know We Are Christians, but of course a very different feel and a very different setting. So this is Chris Da Silva's song, This Is How. If you have love for one another, if you have love for one another, all will know that you are my disciples. This is in the washing of the
You know, David Haas always talks about whether a song prays well. And I have to say that that song by Chris there um, is one that just prays so beautifully uh, any time that I've ever used it. All right. So what's this big song that you have prepared for us? Well, we talked a lot about how Father Ricky composes in a wide variety of styles. His setting of the P.A. Yezu is, I think, one of the most exquisite uh, liturgical compositions that we have and really shows his range as a composer. As I think you'll hear, it sounds very different than many and great and some of his other songs. So I hope you'll enjoy the P.A. Yezu.
Thank you for listening to Open Your Hymnal, and special thanks to Father Ricky Manalo for speaking with us. Many and Great is published by OCP. The recording you heard was released by OCP on the album On This Day. Links to this song, the other songs you heard, and additional resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. Production assistance and support for this episode was provided by OCP and by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and Google Play. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Zach Stahowski. And I'm Matt Reichert. Thanks for listening. In Christ we